0: Mindfulness mode. It really just puts everything into perspective of what you think you're dealing with. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have an entrepreneur with us. He's a very successful businessman, and he's got a number of companies, including a real estate company, a development and construction company, leadership training. He has done so much in the spiritual area as well, because he just is totally passionate about this. And uh, Michael Singer is a connection. So we're going to be talking about Michael as well. So I'm very excited because I'm here today with Adam Hergenrother. Adam, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm I'm ready to go. And uh, that's awesome. Thank you for all
1: the work that you do. And I know much time and energy goes into this to provide value to your audience. So uh, thank
0: you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Well, what does mindfulness mean to you, Adam? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. To me,
1: I think mindfulness is first stepping back and being aware that there is this 100% inner world, which is a voice, it's emotions in your spiritual heart. And it's you understand that you are not the voice, you are not your emotions, you're not your spiritual heart, you are the one who experiences and feels all those variations of the inner experience. But mindfulness is being aware that you are aware that you're aware. And it's (laughs) it's I know it sounds like a lot, but it's it's really it's you can you can bring it in, you know, you can bring it into the business community, you can bring it into leadership, you can bring it into parenting. It's. I always kind of joke with people that it's like, you know, you can be aware right before them. I think the most powerful moment in history is that moment right before you lose it, right before you know you're about to touch the lower self and the lower energy. And once you do, you can't stop yourself from saying things or doing things. It's that wonderful moment right before it that you're aware that you're about to engage with the lower self. You're about to engage with your ego, whatever you want to refer to it as. And so if mindfulness is being aware that there's an actual pull. There is this, there's this tendency to want to pull you down in there and to touch it. There's a mindfulness is the tendency to want to engage with the mind when something outside happens the way you don't want it to. And it's trying to get you to basically Velcro itself to it. And so the more you can just be aware of all of that, and it doesn't mean push it away or, or pretend that it doesn't exist or pretend you're not on a spiritual path if you feel anger or anything like that. It just means that you're aware of all the sensations and emotions. And again, I boil them down to the voice, your emotions and your spiritual heart.
0: Right. Well, in your new book, you're talking a lot about uh work-life balance. You talk about that. You talk about consciousness, bringing consciousness to work. Uh, Can you just tell us about conscious leadership? That's where we really need to be in this world of, of business, I think. Tell us, tell Mindful Tribe what you mean by conscious leadership.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, leaders, their work product is decisions, right? That's what I think separates major companies from the ones that are average to mediocre to extreme levels of success is really based on the quality of decision that the leadership makes. And that goes from the CEO all the way down to the leadership that are that are individual rankings and roles that people have. So then it worked backwards, right? So how do you put yourself in a situation so that you can make the highest quality decisions that you can every single day, right? Because that's what it is, is using businesses, it's not one moment that all of a sudden changes the directory of it. It may look like that, but it's really a a microcosm of individual decisions that guide people to different areas that usually unfold or open a certain door for it. At least that's been my experience in my life. Um, So then I go and say, well, how do you as a leader be the clearest possible that you can, the clearest that you can be so you can make the highest quality decision, right? So then if you're disturbed by any level of energy, what I mean by disturbed, meaning that if an email comes in and you don't like the tone of the email, you're being accused of something and now your energy, the disturbance, you're fine. Then all of a sudden your disturbance comes in there and you start to feel angry or irritated or jealous or frustrated or not heard. And you respond from any level of that. You're not, you're making a poor level decision. So for, for conscious leaders, the first thing that we need to do is we need to be, you can use the word mindful, right? You need to be aware that you are disturbed and you probably shouldn't be acting. I like to think of it, um, we'll talk about Michael later, but I always, Michael talks about relax, release, and I always put an A in there, which is you relax You release the energy. The first thing you have to do is you have to relax, right? If you are caught up in the energy, you are going to be making, again, a poorer decision than you can make. It doesn't mean you can't work through it. It just means it's not the highest quality decision you can make. As an example of this, if you are, again, you walk into a meeting and you just gotten some news and you walk in there wanting to be right, wanting to feel validated, you're going to dismiss pretty much anybody else in the room of what their opinion is because you're just waiting for your turn to make sure that you are right instead of the organization finding the best solution. It's a personal need for validation then except for a, 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 instead of having the organization succeed at the highest level that it can. The other thing you can think about this as a parent, if you can't handle your six-year-old freaking out in a store, then you are no good to the situation. If you are a doctor and you can't handle the sight of blood, you're no good to the situation. So it's it's really, um, and, and I'll tag on the last A for it in a second, but it's really about ha- just being able to handle reality. It's about handling the things that are unfolding in front of you, which happens every single moment. So it's first relax. So you, you're, when you're relaxing, you're feeling the disturbed energy. Everyone knows what that is. Like you're fine, and all of a sudden you're not fine, right? Like all of a sudden yeah. you've got this whole world of explosions happening. So you start relaxing. You don't relax the energy. You, who is back there experiencing it, relaxes. Then, as you start to release the energy, it's no longer holding on to you. So then, as you release it, it became, We can put a pin in that. And come back to it because it can be a real. That's to me. This is the real. Spiritual growth um, and, and work that happens is being able to release it so it no longer bothers you anymore, so that you can be clear. And then the third one is act, right? That's what the relax, release, and then A is for action because it, you know, relax and release or surrender is not a passivity. It's not about not taking action. In fact, it's about taking much better action, which is why we always put relax, release, and then lean into it. Take the action. If you still have to fire somebody, you fire somebody. If you have to hire somebody, you hire them. If you have to hold somebody a accountable to your goals, you hold them to your goals. You're just not doing it because it's it's so that it can personally fill you up. You're doing it because it's your need to serve the moment in the business that you're serving to.
0: Yeah, too often that action piece is missing. That's what I found, it's- you know. <laughs> yeah, we have to take action and we forget that. Or we yeah. shy away from it. We have fear, with so much fear yeah. keeping us from taking the action a lot of the time. Well, your new book, The 200% Life is fantastic. I really enjoyed this read and I I love the subtitle, Your Guide to Spiritual Growth and Business Success Without Meditating on a Mountaintop. Tell us about your meditation practice, Adam. What does that look like?
1: Yeah. Um, well for me, it's uh transcendental meditation twice a day. Um, I, you know, I know the 20 minutes is recommended. Sometimes I'll do 30 or 40. I've been on a lot. I've been like many of you i have been on a lot of different retreats and different things. And I've worked through with masters to kind of help there. Um, but it's funny when I came up with that, because for me, you know, if I could take a little backstory, um, I, uh, I grew up Um, you know, kind of always trying to be somebody else, uh, kind of doing these white lies. I ended up gaining like, and being, becoming like a hundred pounds overweight as a freshman in high school and into drugs, kind of recreational drugs and really failing classes. I was really that role model you wanted your kid to hang out with. And one day I, I came home and I realized like, this is not the life I want to live. I didn't say it like that. I wasn't, I can't say it as I can say now. I'm not saying it was some spiritual movement. I just literally was, was like, what am I doing? Right. Like It was just like, it was like, what the hell are you doing with your life? And so then I, I got into kind of visualizations at that point early on. I lost 100 pounds, got into sports. So, sports is really important to me for youth because it really changed the trajectory of my life. It gave me a whole new orientation in it. Um, and I'm going to fast forward a little bit here and we can always come back to any of these points. But I um, I got into college and um, school doesn't come naturally to me. So, I worked harder than most people. I bought my first investment property as, as a sophomore in college. Um, and I, when I got out of there, I wanted the world to understand how amazing I was. I wanted to feel power, authority, leverage. I actually wanted to prove to my parents. I wanted to prove to like the people around me that this guy in this small town could go out there and be successful. And I've come to define what, what people, um, I, I think when people say, you know, Bruce, go be successful. I think really what they're saying is if you go get enough money, Fame, power, or leverage so that you can control the situations that are around you, so that when the experience unfolds, is an experience that you're looking for, so that your inner experience is the experience that you're looking for. That's what I really think when people say, go be successful. It's like, oh, you can have the house, so the house makes you feel good. Oh, you can have the certain car, so that makes you feel good. Or you can have enough leverage so you can do what you want, right? And that'll make you feel good. But, and so that's what I went after. I went after that, and I had this goal of about $500,000 in income. And when I was 26, almost 10 years to the day, I hit this number and I was at a holiday party and I was with my mom, who's the most unassuming individual. She could care less about money. And I go, Hey, you know, I made this $500,000 kind of looking for the whole room to stop and basically like praise me. And my mom's like, Oh, that's great. Like pass the ketchup. I remember. And in that moment, <laughs> I remember that, like, man, people, people don't care. And then I asked a deeper question later on. I was like, I don't, do I even care? You know, I had this impression that I think a lot of people that like somehow when I got this income number that there was going to be a tree that gets planted in my backyard, filling me up with peace every moment. Like it was just going to, I was going to arrive there. In fact, it just felt worse yeah. that I, I had this. And that's, that's when I started my meditation practice literally like the week later, because I woke up and I was like, well, what's the whole point of life then? I was like, what am I doing with this? If this isn't making me feel my in, my inner experience, again, I can't say it the same way I did now, but if this isn't still making me feel worse, I'm becoming more successful, I'm getting more awards, I'm building bigger businesses. And I hadn't even started building really businesses at that point and i was like if this isn't going to do it then what is and that's when i really oriented my life to this inner this inner experience my inner journey and meditation was the first kind of gateway into spirituality if you will for me but well, when were
0: you first introduced to michael singer and his his thoughts of yeah. Uh, surrender
1: yeah you know 2011 or twelve, I think. Whenever the surrender experiment came out, yeah. um, somebody sent that over to me, uh, and I read it and I loved it. Um, and then I, uh, you know, I started following Michael, and and I've had the the he's been an incredible mentor in my life, and I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Michael personally, and 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 really helping me out. And and so I I am a I'm a big believer of of a lot of the philosophy because he makes room for so much, and that's what I love about it is that it's never about telling you what to do or how to do it or how to act. It's just giving you the ultimate technique is what I think you are, regardless of any situation that you're in. And that's what I really tried to do with the 200% life was provide a model or a roadmap for regardless of whatever you're deciding to do. It's not up to me. It's not up to Bruce. It's not up to anybody to decide how you live your life or what you do. However, if you want a little
0: bit more inner peace,
1: you want to work in that spiritual path, it provides a roadmap to be able to do that.
0: Well, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, what is this about? This 200%, 200% explain this. What is this?
1: Yeah. So for me, and, uh, you know, again, when I, so I brought you up to that point, when I started getting into meditation, um, I remember for, for TM, if you've ever done transcendental meditation before the first experience I had, I was like, whoa, like this is there's this whole, like, wait a minute, like, I, I'm not my voice, right? Like, what, what what is this? And I just remember having this moment sitting with my instructor. Uh, and it really, it, and he's still, I still talk to him to this day, you know, I've 250,000 hours later of meditation. And like, I I, I, I still talk to him. So anyways, at that point, I started getting lost a little bit. And, and what I mean by that is my businesses were succeeding, you know, and this was 11, 12, 13, 2011, 12 and 13. And I um, I, I was like, I, I had this idea, Bruce, that being a spiritual person or dedicated to a spiritual path means that I somehow sat in the Himalayans, Indian style, next to a fire reciting haikus. And it's not even comfortable to sit Indian style. I never did in like retreats. I always sat in different things. So I was trying, I was like, but isn't that the path supposed to be? And I realized that was just a concept that I put on there. You know, if you talk to Eckhart Tolle, one of the things that he actually says is the number one question he gets, he's like he goes to Starbucks every morning and people go, why are you in here? And he's like, I like coffee, right? Like you're not supposed to be drinking wine. He's like, I enjoy drinking wine. So again, I think we have this idea of what spirituality needs to look like. You can't be successful. You can't make money. And so early on in that phase, I got kind of lost in there. And I'm like, I really actually enjoy leadership. I enjoy building companies. I enjoy, you know, the successes and challenges, all the things that a lot of people do, regardless of whatever their, their passions or whatever they're doing are. Um, so I, I wanted to really find a model that described how to approach both these things I started actually teaching about this in 2012 I remember I was teaching about 500 people in a class and I stopped halfway through and this was after I'd been kind of doing it for a couple of years and I said does anybody hear that voice inside your head and I didn't know that my reaction was going to be and everyone some people's like like slowly raising their hand and everyone else kind of raised their hand and we ended up talking about just my experience that I've had and and from there like people started emailing asking questions and and obviously it's a little bit more popular now than it was 12 years ago. Um so I tried to develop this this kind of model for I really want to enjoy the outer world i want to enjoy building businesses and having the success and the the challenges and trying to work through lawsuits and work through how to you know figure out how to you know pay payroll and, and all those different things i enjoy that phase but at the same time i wanted my pole star my north star to be my inner experience and so i developed this concept called the 200 life which really to me embodies the philosophy that i bring into everything i do which is There's 100% inner world and there's 100% outer world. It's not one or the other. So the 100% inner world, we kind of touched on earlier, which is that there is, look, and everybody already knows this, whether you're in psychology or think you're spiritual or not, can everyone tell the difference between jealousy and irritation? Or frustration and anger, right? Of course, because you're in there and you experience the subtle differences of energy. That is your spiritual, what is your inner world. It's very etheric. It's light. It can, it can move in nanoseconds to liking one thing, to not liking one thing. Even in this conversation that Bruce and I are having right now, you know, are people really listening to the conversation or are they listening to the mind narrate whether they like what I'm saying or don't like what I'm saying? Or can't, or, or Bruce should ask that question when Adam said that, right? Like they're in there yeah. listening to that. So yeah. that's yeah. that whole inner experience. And then, yet, so it's like, how do you work on that? And that being your primary responsibility for me first. Again, this is from my experiences. If I work on that first, then it makes the other things the 100% outer life this, this, the, the, what the relative can bring, um, how do that makes everything that I do in the relative or the outer outer world, much more enjoyable. It doesn't mean it goes my way. It doesn't mean there's not challenges. It doesn't mean that I don't get frustrated at times or angry at times. It just means that you can handle it. It means that you can enjoy the simple nature of the fact that you're here experiencing life.
0: Adam, you end the book on the topic of freedom. And I want to know how the idea and the meaning of freedom has changed for you over the years compared to when you first started your first business.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful question. You know, um, I used to think freedom meant financial freedom and uh in physical freedom because again I, I shared earlier that i grew up 100 pounds overweight and so when i got in sports i wanted to always maintain fitness and be able to have that freedom and then social freedom i even wrote about it back then about having those types of different freedoms which is relative i think they're all wonderful right it's what it's wonderful to have you know material needs met and having that financial freedom but i've got you know money for generations and I don't feel any different, right? Let me just, let me be very clear on that, right? Like, sure. Like, you know, some people say, well, you need to get to that point in order to do that. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I think everyone that's gotten here tries to tell everybody that it's not what they think it is, right? Um, Or at least most people have. And so uh, I've now kind of, I really think what people are looking for is what's called absolute freedom. And the absolute freedom is being able to walk through this world, not being hit or disturbed, being able to freely just wake up and allow life to do whatever life wants to do to be able to enjoy the reality of what's unfolding. I mean, we've been around for what, 50, 40, 60, 80, 100 years. Maybe human sapiens have been around for a couple hundred thousand years. The world's been here for 4.5 billion years. It would be like having a 3 million page book, reading one word and being, I know exactly what this book is about right and that's that's where ego comes in is like it's all about me my or i right and so we 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 think we have this idea that we know how life should be and how we want everybody else to act i always call it like we want to control the three the nouns right people places and things to have a better experience for us and so this absolute freedom is being able to wake up not nervous not anxious not in a in a, not trying to get or take something from things just being able to freely walk through there And there's moments that people have of this and it's light, it's peaceful. Again, it doesn't mean that life unfolds the way it is. It doesn't mean there's not challenges. You just don't see them the same way. You just, you're able to, again, I think all of spirituality really comes down to just being able to handle the situation in front of you. And and that if you can handle a situation in front of you, then if you're disturbed, it's like the Dalai Lama said, it's like, sure, I get angry, but it lasts for three seconds. It's like writing on water. You can see it for a moment and then it's gone. And that's kind of like that whole relax, release, and then act uh, as well too. So that's what I think that freedom that people are really looking for is be able to wake up and not feeling this cloak of anxiety or anxiousness that's there.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I want to talk to you about that B word and your build as having a $1 billion organization. And, you know, you've got some very, very, very successful businesses and you've just been thriving with all that. But that word that starts with B, does that seem to sometimes be a hindrance? Does it seem to sometimes uh, separate you from the people that need to hear your message? Or do you feel it does the opposite? Do you feel it connects you to people more quickly?
1: I think if you were to probably take a uh, cursier view and not know who I am, I mean, I think that could easily separate people. I think people instantly think that somebody who has rich way which is is far from the case right it's it's not that it has money is money joy is joy that's just the easiest way to be able to say that money is money it's a tool in your life and it's a wonderful tool and right now mechanically our world operates with it so we have to understand it we have to learn it you know one of the first things michael singer ever said me when, when we were together he's like you know michael has built a business in there he's like Always live way below your means so that you can always do the deeper work. Because if you get caught with living above your means, it's very difficult to do the deeper work. And I think that's really true for a lot of us. And I think the world is, is, is shifting there to a point where they're realizing Sure, just because I can doesn't mean I should, so that I can stay back and actually focus on other things. I think if you get to know, if you follow the work that we've done, um, I try to be extremely transparent about anything that happens in my life. And I think that allows, and just to explain to people that I'm just a very ordinary individual, just on my own path. And I happen to to share it. And if people like that, that's wonderful. And I understand that everyone's gonna have a different kind of um uh, you know, they, they are receptive to different people at different times in their lives. And, you know, I I hope the 200% life kind of, I always try to like dumb myself down in everything that I do so that people can understand that it's, it's, it's look the, the deep work to, I, I think what makes actually people a fierce business competitor is that absolute freedom that we just discussed. I think it's like, when you become not a taker and you don't need anything from life and you, and, and mechanically, you're also in the hundred percent outer world are working through the fact that you live on a budget, you work on you stay within your your means of what that is. You you don't look, the biggest mistake that I see businesses make, especially entrepreneurs or sole proprietors that may even have a couple of employees or contractors is they they as their business increases, they start increasing their lifestyle, so then all of a sudden this pressure wakes up every day and puts it on them to maintain this level of income so they can maintain this life. And therefore then it it hinders them from making the bigger decisions that they need to in in their business because they don't really wanna make a mistake and have to go backwards in their lifestyle.
0: Well, I think the fact that you are such a down-to-earth person really comes across in your podcast. Your podcast is called "The Two Hundred Percent Life" with Adam Hergenrother, and and uh, I just really enjoyed listening to it because you are so real. And when you you talk about these these topics, every one of them, you're just upfront and open and willing to talk about. I want to ask you a question, Adam, about bullying. If you ever experienced bullying, and if mindfulness maybe have made a difference to how you dealt with that
1: uh it's funny i was actually there's a situation right now with one of my um my daughters who um is not necessarily not bullying somebody but she is caught in between a situation like that and i was just responding to this individual that uh when i grew up i was actually bullied quite a bit in a different way Uh, we didn't have cyber bullying which i think is even worse today because I, I, I explained to my kids who are 11, 9, and 7, back when I was growing up, I say back when I was growing up, I'm 42, so it's not there, but when yeah. I was growing up there, if there was an issue, like we either, unfortunately, either got into a fight, right, like a physical fight, but it was just, there was different back then, like it was there, or At school it happened, but then when we went home, it was, it was done, right? We didn't deal with it anymore. It's not like people are writing notes and leave them in your mailbox every day. Right now it's, it's even more difficult because when a kid goes, it happens at school and they go home, then all of a sudden it goes to the social media networks and it's like, it's, I like this message this person did and it's, it's, it's killing. So it's over and over and over again. He's hitting this bowling button constantly, right. Yeah. Of what it is. Um, and, uh, and, and, and again, growing up overweight and different things, I got made fun of repeatedly and, 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 and for what it was. And so uh, I think what mindfulness really can do is I think it can also give other individuals who are bullying a better chance to equip them with other tools. So they don't feel the need to actually bully somebody because they're lost too. People just don't naturally want to bully somebody for any other reason, but they're dealing with some major issues and it's, it's far from accurate or right, but that's how they're dealing with it. Right. And so it's like that mindfulness will really help that individual, give them some space to be able to see some different things. And then of course, on the other end of that, if you're, if that's happening to you, you get to see that this isn't all that my life is. You get to see that the thoughts that are generated from that bullying inside my head are just thoughts. They're not reality of what they are. And so that you don't try to push them away, but it allows you to, again, handle the situation so you can take the best course of action um, and stay as, 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 as calm and peaceful as you can. I used to, I always... Business is nothing but a conduit for personal growth. Life is nothing but a conduit for personal growth. And I always say is that business, especially in business, never has the right to dumb up your inner experience. And it doesn't. It just doesn't have the right. Yeah,
0: totally. Uh, one of the things you you really uh, have in common with me is that you love the Tao Te Ching uh, by Lao Tzu. What is it about the Tao Te Ching that you really love and that you hold on to?
1: Well, it's the middle way, right? It's like, it's this, it's this, this, it, everything has its kind of nature, right? And so again, it, it's, it's, if you get caught in an emotion of anger, it's going to pull you in one direction. And then when you let go of it, it's going to pull you all the way back in a different direction. And so to me, the, the Tao Te Ching is really about handling reality. It's about staying in your, you want to use the word seat of self, right? So it's about staying in this middle, not expressing a tremendous amount of energy when you're successful, not expressing a tremendous amount of energy when you're having challenges, you're just handling both the situations. So it's not allowing any of the vents outside that are not happening to take away your disturbance and again that i've seen many business owners have really successful months or quarters or years and go out and make stupid business decisions because they think that money is going to last forever so it goes both ways if you make a bunch of money and all of a sudden you're like it's going to last forever and you start getting this stuff now all of a sudden when the economy is in a different world they're going how do i get out of this right and so it really works both ways. So that Ali Ching always reminds me of what's the middle path here? What's the least path of resistance, which means that I'm I'm releasing and I'm interacting with life. You know, I was explaining yesterday on a call, people talk about leaning in to life. I think it's actually two leans. The first one is leaning away from the emotions on one end or the other, and then leaning, leaning away from that and then leaning in to the, the situation that's in front of you with a clear, stable middle path that allows you to make the best decisions that you can.
0: Right. Right. In your book, 200% Life, you talk about work-life balance and how, you know, for you, you would rather think of it as work-life presence. Can yeah. you speak to that?
1: Yeah. I think work, work-life work balance is a myth. Um, and I think people that strive for that, it's not bad. I understand the concept of that, of what they're really trying to aim for. I just think a better word for that is just presence, which means there are some times in work that I choose to work 12 hours a day, right? And it's, it's I enjoy it. It's just that you can be an artist or whether you're a football player and you choose to work, and you know, have a football game on, on Thanksgiving and not be with your family. And so to me is whatever you're choosing to do, Or you're you're because everything is a choice, right? If you're choosing to do it and people say, Well, my job's not a choice, and you go, Well, it kind of is, but I get what you're saying. But if you're doing it, then why not be as present as possible in anything that you're doing? I think one of the reasons why people have lost productivity is because when they wake up in their day, they're trying to be half in the work, half into their personal life. Whereas if you can just be present in whatever you're doing fully it actually gives you the depth of the experience of what you're looking for. So if you're working, put your fullness in the working. And then the minute you're not working, don't think that you need to be working, go put it on exercise or with your kids or with a, your partner or whatever that is that you're not, or just yourself or your book just put it on there. So if you think about, if you're walking to the bathroom, you shouldn't be thinking about all the things you need to do. You should be present walking to the bathroom. If you're answering a phone, you shouldn't be thinking about the email you need to respond to either answer the phone or finish the email, right? So it's just a way that I've kind of categorized my life of, and look, I'm far from perfect at this, right? Like I get caught and I'm like in an email or trying to text this and you're jumping in and you're you're trying to multitask, which is really a myth too. So the presence is 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 a little is a is a model for me that goes, Am I being present right now? And the answer most most time if I ask that question is I'm not. And that's when I feel hurried or anxious because I'm trying to get through something just to get to the next day to do it all over again. And so then I go, stop, pause, and just relax, release. And then what's the action that I need to take?
0: Well, and that's just the opposite of so many people these days. It's like multitasking, multitasking. I have to do this and do that and think about this while I'm walking here and doing this. And and uh, so I agree with you. Yeah, we, we just need to focus on one thing and be there with that one thing. That's yeah. exactly right. Yes, yeah, exactly. so I want to go back to Michael Singer and ask you about the first time you met him. Did you go to a retreat there or where did you meet him? Yeah. So I, I
1: met Michael, he was doing a, um, him and I had been chatting for a while and he just said, come down. He said, after the the service, you and I will, we'll, we'll go back. And, um, so we, we went through the service and then I came up and, and I tell you, it's a really interesting experience. He, he came, um, there's a lady that introduced us and he, we pulled aside and he grabs my hand and he starts holding my hand and we start walking and he doesn't say anything. And I'm holding his hand and we're walking, we're talking like four minutes goes by. And for the first, like, three minutes, I was pretty good. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, like, should I say something? Like, then all of a sudden, like, all the thoughts started going in there. You yeah. would have been comfortable, honestly, probably just, like, holding hands and walking the entire – out. but at this point, my ego or whatever it is that was there was, was definitely starting to get a little disturbed. So, I was like, so, right, like, <laughs> um and then we ended up going back to his house and we spent the afternoon together and uh and we just had a lot of really wonderful talks but you know the the thing that i share with him uh i share about michael and especially the first time meeting him you know it, the best way to describe it it is such a i think it's sometimes a poor description but people get the point it's almost like having your favorite dog and what i mean by that is there's zero judgment there's no ego and it's just full of like love and joy for you. Just like your dog would be, no matter what you're wearing, what you look like, how you're acting, how your mood is. They just show up with full presence and full energy. And that's what you could you can clearly feel that, uh, when you get
0: close to him. Uh, uh-huh, that's cool. Have you gotten into any silent retreats?
1: I have, um, I've not the the length that most people do, but, um, on weekend retreats, we've had silent sections of that that have had. So I haven't done it for more than like, um, hours at a time. Um, so I haven't done like a long extended one. Um, I don't know. I, have never really, I never had, I've always, those have always, ours have always been like meditative retreats and then with some discussion afterwards, but a lot of silence in between.
0: Right. Right. Well, I know that, uh, you've often asked the question, is that all there is? And so when you work with people and help other business people, how do you help them understand that there's so much more to life than having a successful business?
1: Yeah. You know, for me, um, I think most people that, um, that are successful at any, at, at some level, Uh, start to ask deeper questions of their lives. And I think our job can be to help orient them to ask their own questions because ingesting an answer that you or I give to anybody is, is, is laziness. And what I mean by that is whether you like anything that we've said or discussed here or in the book, that's great, but really you have to go experience it. And you have to be the one to ask the deeper question, which is how's my inner state? How's my inner peace? How's my inner life doing? Am I anxious? Am I suffering at some level? And if people are really real, the, they're they're like, yes, I walk around with stress. They'll they'll throw that out that word, right? Because it's a little bit safer to say, work is stressful, parents are stressful, or my kids are stressful right now. Okay, great. Then how do we do some deeper work? And then, and then people get caught up with this goal situation, and they think goals are the purpose of your life. And goals have a beginning and an end, but they're not the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life has to be something larger than a goal or larger than, and this is my own opinion, people have a different one. It has to be larger than your family. It has to be larger than your business. It has to be larger than something that can either go away or not be the way you want it to. So for me, I always think of like the mission of my life is to raise the moment that's in front of me. So the moment is better off for having passed by me. And so for, again, regardless of the situation that's happening externally, because you could, God forbid, lose a kid, you could get divorced, you could, your business go bankrupt. And if that was the purpose of your life, then you're going to really suffer instead of just being able to deal with the challenges that are in front of you. And so, um, so for me, I always kind of, I always go back to the grounding question, which is how do you want to feel today? Right. How do you want to feel today? Because I don't know about you, but every time I've solved the problem and thought it was going to be over, how long did that really last for? A day, right? Maybe two days, maybe a yeah. week. Or what about every luxury item that you ever wanted in your entire life? Once you got it, was it over? Did you want, did you never want another luxury item? And by the way, is that luxury item that you ever want, that you wanted a luxury item still? And most people are like, no, it's not. It's just no longer, you know, there's a powerful Uh, in, In economics, they teach you a powerful spiritual lesson, which is the law of diminishing returns. And it's very deep because the law of diminishing returns basically says the more you have something, the less you want it. And that's why the ego or the personal mind can never be satisfied. They actually documented this in economics because every time you get something, you want less of it. And that's why but the pure concept of creating a goal in your mind and then experiencing that in a mental rehearsal in your mind of it is already giving you the highest it can be. Then once it happens, you instantly start losing every day, it loses a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more. This is why so many people get divorced or want to change jobs or wh- whatever it is that they want to do because it stops turning them on. This is the whole essence of when you go back to your original question here is most people are looking to get their energy from something outside, which causes them to basically every day wake up and try to get the world, people, places, and things the way they want it to, so it turns them on in a new way. Versus if you just go inward and remove the drama, the scars, the blockages, the samskaras, and you remove those, you don't no longer need to go outside to feel that level of fulfillment, joy, or peace, whatever word you want to put there. You just start to feel that experience. And therefore, then you no longer need something from the outside, but yet you can show up and interact with it in a beautiful way.
0: Right, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, well, you talk a lot about the law of attraction and about manifesting, and of course, as well, surrender and letting go. And so I've heard you talk about this before in your podcast, that in some ways, they seem like opposites. Can you just talk about how we can manifest without um, getting too tied up in it, with also having this sense of surrender.
1: Yeah, I think you know if law law of attraction does work, and people this need to be very careful what they're attracting, because if you think about all the thoughts that are going on in your head, like what are you actually not just the times that you set aside to manifest something, right, or make it happen that way. I'm talking about the times that the 99% of the other times that you're not doing that. What are you actually attracting in there? So if people are, want to attract anything, you you should go for something at a much different level, which is just you want to attract pure bliss or enjoyment or peace in your life and make that your pole star for what it is. You know, surrender is, again, is not passivity. And so it's not like I'm going to let this lion just eat me, right? Or I'm just going to let people run all over me in business or I'm not going to hold people accountable. It's got nothing to do with that. In fact, it's the opposite. It gives you the freedom to be fiercely protective over your business and set goals. The difference is, and this is really where the line comes in, which is spirituality is never about changing what you're doing. It's about changing the part of you that is interacting with what you're doing. And so, if you're interacting with life in a way to get something from it, that's all ego because it's all about me. What can I get from this? How does this make me feel? How do my kids need to act so that I feel okay? Right. Whereas, if you can, if you interact with life from a clear sense of trying to raise the moment up, you're not tied to it in that way. And so you you literally allow yourself to create goals. You can set your vision. You can set financial goals. You can set, you want to buy a plane. Fine, just go play. If you want to just go live in the woods. By the way, the, and I, I love getting in fun debates over this with people, but I understand mechanically there might be some differences here, but the reality is, is somebody that says to me, like, I'm going to go sell all my stuff and go live in the woods. It's the same thought pattern that somebody says, I'm going to go get a bunch of stuff and buy a helicopter. It's still a thought that you're following, right? And so neither one of them, suppression or going after things works either. And so just because you're like, oh, I'm going to go show the world that I don't need many things, right? I'm going to go simplify my life. Look, if you're simplifying your life because it's a natural shedding of your skin, that's wonderful. If you're simplifying your life because you're mechanically trying to get more aligned with your spending, that's wonderful. But if you're doing it so you can then show other people or try to prove to other people that look at the life that I'm living, I'm a minimalist. That's the same thing as somebody else going and buying a plane so they can show everybody that they have a plane. I know people that are very well, deeply rooted in spirituality who have planes, right? But they don't ever tell anybody. They don't show it on Instagram. They're not, you know, so, and then I also know people that have like Michael, by the way, who has, who, who, <laughs> he's got a camper stove in his house and the guy is worth a tremendous amount of money. And that's a public thing, right? You can go, you can see he sold his companies. And so it's, it's not one or the other. And that's where people get so lost in this concept of thinking that, oh, no, if I want to be spiritual, I can't have this or I can't have success or different things. Just that's a concept. And that's a thought that you're following.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So true. (laughs) I know you spend a lot of time in the Vermont mountains. Tell us about the mindfulness of that. Do you ski? Do you hike? Tell us how much you enjoy that space. Yeah,
1: thank you. Um, I'm very... Blessed to be where I live. I live in Stowe, Vermont, so I live literally on a mountain. I'm like eight minutes from Mount Mansfield. So I I skin, which is I don't know if you're familiar with skinning. It's basically you climb up the mountain and with a skin on and a ski on, and then you turn your binding around and you ski down every single day that we have winter. Uh, Last year, I skinned like four hundred thousand vertical feet. Uh, over wow. 220 days, like this morning, I, you know, 5:50. yesterday at 4:30 in the morning, we got snow. I was up there. I did two laps before seven o'clock and you're in, you're in the elements, right? You're, you're in nature. You're in the elements of the wind. It's dark. It's cold. The sunrise comes up. You're on top of a mountain you're enjoying. I mean, it is the, it gives me the ability to work deeper on myself because I have that level of peace. My body is more of that blue collar body and it, it loves to be worked. For whatever reason, the nature, it loves to be worked. And if I don't, there's a restlessness that, sure, I can relax and release through that. But it allows me, when I can get that exercise and I can get and and move through that, it just relaxes things a little bit more. So it gives me the space to do even more work uh, as it shows up and is necessary. But it is, it is a great, I think, just being in any level of nature. If you live in a city, it can be a park, right? It can just be watching birds outside. It can So it doesn't have to be a mountain. For me, that happens to be it. Some people love the ocean and and that's wonderful. Some people love cities. some people love the dry weather, right this is it's it's whatever kind of whatever kind of brings you closer to um, kind of nature, if you will, uh, I think you should follow
0: through with that. Yeah, good advice. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Adam. So just 30 second answers are perfect. First one is this who is one person who has been a really powerful mindfulness influence for you? Michael Singer. Yeah. I figured you'd probably say that. My second question is about emotions. How has mindfulness helped you deal with your emotions differently?
1: I think number one is they, the first thing is that they made me aware that I'm not my emotions and therefore I have the ability to, um, either touch them or don't touch them, which
0: gives you, um, obviously a lot more clarity in your life. Right. I want to talk about breathing. We haven't touched on this yet. Do you have any thoughts, ideas, suggestions about breathing and how it applies to mindfulness? I love cathartic breathing. Um, I've been a big cathartic. I don't know if you've ever done cathartic breath work before. Yes, I have. Yeah. It's
1: wonderful. Uh, yeah. I mean, how wonderful it is to take three deep breaths. You know, that's part of the relaxed release is... And just drop your shoulders. It just releases. And, and, you know, the parasympathetic and sympathetic systems that are going through our bodies, if we can reconnect those and align those in a, through breath, it's just a, by the way, it's really funny. Breathing is the only thing that can we, we can control. And then if we don't want to, it controls itself. It's yeah. autonomous and synonymous. So it's like, it's one of the, we can't really do that with our heart. Well, at least I I can't. So, but breath work is one of those amazing things that if you, st- if you don't want to pay attention to it, it breathes on its own. But yet, if you want to pay attention to it, you can breathe on your own.
0: Yeah. And I know you do Wim Hof breathing as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I do also. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I know that your book is fantastic. I've really enjoyed reading it. Are there any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness?
1: Yeah, I think the I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't hit Michael's three books which is The Surrender Experiment, The Untethered Soul, um and Living Untethered which is his most recent book. Um I think you know if people haven't touched into Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now, I think that's a great book. Um I think there is a um Good Deed is a good book as well too if people haven't touched that one. Um but I would start with for me anyways
0: Purpose purposely uh, uh, Michael Singer has been transformative that way for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Any apps that help you at all, or that you recommend? Oh, what do I use? I use this. um Looking at my phone when I do it, because I don't want to get it
1: wrong. I use Sleep Pillow. Okay, <laughs> which is just a it's it's an app that has different white noise and for me sometimes if i'm um, like in my office i meditate twice a day so i go in my office and i'll shut my door but it's still kind of noisy out there yeah and some people say you shouldn't have those and you should be able to just go this but for me like i i kind of i'm always like what kind of works type guy so if it yeah. works for you then you should do it regardless of what people say yeah. so for me sleep pillow putting that on there allows me to go deeper in my meditation if it's noisy around there i'll put my headsets on like in an airplane i'll put them on put sleep pillow on um, also sometimes when trouble sleeping, I'll put that on as well, too. That's one app that I use. Oh, we you know the other thing that, that I would, I should mention is I use Evernote, but I use it for journaling because okay. that's part of my, my morning process. And the reason why I do is I journal about each one of my kids every single day okay. and I bring in photos of things that they've done that day. So I have a collage of their entire lives and I use that Evernote and it backs up to the
0: cloud. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, that's, that's great. And you have three kids. What have your three kids taught you about mindfulness? This is not a 30 second answer, <laughs> by the way, but. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, that's a three hour question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it teach, it's really taught me uh, is how much more work I have to do. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I can go through and, and all the wonderful things that it has taught me um, about how clear they are as they go through their stages, and and watching their own egos develop, and talking through the voice in their head, and and then also how to model this as an example of of modeling spirituality, which is, you know what, guys. I just got caught there. I raised my voice. I shouldn't have. Um, and here's why it happened. And, you know, he, this is what happens when it does. So next time that you get caught, um, you know, make sure that you take you take responsibility for your actions and, and you do the work to relax and release through this. So
0: it gives me the chance to really model it for my kids as well, too. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I find that with my son as well. Uh, so as we wrap up the interview, do you have any final words of advice for our Mindful Tribe listeners, Adam?
1: Well, I think we need to talk about, which is uh, a topic that I um, deeply think about all the time, which is uh, death. And, yeah. you know, not in a morbid way. You know, I think about it 30 times a day, maybe. And I, I do just because we're all going to die, right? If we haven't realized that, we're all going to die. And it really just puts everything into perspective of what you think you're dealing with. And so, again, it's just a trick for me when I think about that, that we're going to be gone. Um, there's a beautiful, uh, poem that Andrea Gibbons has that talks about when the body, when the soul loses its body, what does it miss? And it reminds you of the same way. Like, is the soul going to miss goosebumps? Is the soul going to miss the, the, the snow? Is the soul going to miss a hug? Cause they can't do that in the same way. And so it just gets you to think about it a little bit differently. Like when you no longer have the human body and you're, and you're back to whatever you believe you're back into, what's it going to miss? And then it gives it more perspective, on the fact that you do have this human body right now enjoy it and, and embrace in the moments of it cuz it's going to be gone in a flash
0: yeah that's that's great advice your website is adamhergenrother.com and there's a lot there you can go there and you can find the book and learn about adam and learn a lot more things and and I know you journal and you do a blog and that kind of thing that that people can sign up for. And uh, so thank you so much, Adam, for being on Mindfulness Mode today.
1: Bruce, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Yeah, all the best to you. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for listening today to the Mindfulness Mode Podcast. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you go over to Apple and would you leave a comment? Would you subscribe, leave a comment and uh, just leave a review for the podcast? That would help me so much. All of those reviews really help to boost how many people hear the podcast and how many people benefit from the podcast. So if you would do that, I would be so grateful. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode